0: It's go time. Grey Cup 110 is in the books, and what an amazing game. Whether you are a Blue Bombers fan or an Alouettes fan, this one was a delight to watch for the CFL that's a showcase. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon, along with Heath, Graham, and Pat Mooney. Can't say enough about the game that was
1: Sunday night in Hamilton. It was an outstanding game and a a true classic right from the get-go. I was impressed with both teams. They all showed up and everyone was ready to play. Uh, and, And for me, I found this game to be one that engaged me throughout the game. There was no time where I was disengaged because the action just kept coming and there was always a play to grab your attention. And for me, that's a win, like you said, Don, for the CFL as a whole and fans. As a Bomber fan, I was disappointed with the final result
2: in that the Bombers lost the game. As a CFL fan, I got over the disappointment of loss very quickly because it was such an entertaining game. And it wasn't just an offensive battle there was great defense by both sides, but not not necessarily a lot of two and outs, but really a well-played game. All you can ask for in these games is that both teams show up and you you get a close result. It's the the home fans of a team that wins in blowout are the only ones that enjoy the blowout. And this one had a little bit of everything. Winnipeg got off to a great start, a 10-point lead. Montreal made adjustments at halftime, chipped away at it, and, and took the game late. And it's Uncommon to see the Bombers outscored in the fourth quarter. It's probably only the third time this happened to the Bombers all season. And unfortunately for them, it was the biggest game of the year.
0: Great point, Heath. The Blue Bombers, who had prided themselves on defense, a team that had excelled on defense, did not do so in that fourth quarter. And the Alouettes coming away with two touchdown drives to win the football game. Every time it seemed as though Winnipeg had a touchdown drive, the Alouettes had an answer. And I said to my wife at one point, what needs to happen for Montreal is that they have to have one more answer to a touchdown than Winnipeg can provide. And there it was in that final minute, which how courageous and how unbelievable. You are second and 18. Cody Fajardo gets most of that back. And then on third down, in about five, you throw that deep pass down the left side.
2: It was a great play call, and they were able to beat Winnipeg over the top a few times in this game. One aspect that surprised me the most was the explosiveness and the quickness of the Montreal offense. We've seen Cody Fajardo manage games well. He doesn't put up a ton of yards and, and not a lot of yards per completion, but... In this Grey Cup game, he managed to force it over the top. Austin Mack made some phenomenal plays to keep drives alive, and Tyson Philpot came into his own in this one, and he's a, a
1: breakout star, just looking to explode next year. I couldn't agree with you more, Heath. When I thought of Cody Fajardo as a quarterback this year, the word that you used was "manager," and and that's what the Alouettes asked him to do almost consistently throughout the year and yet in this game i thought he stepped up and he brought his a game obviously we haven't seen him throw for 290 yards like he did here and montreal needed that it made the game exciting those quick responses were surprising because it 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 kept their defense on the field and yet the defense performed and didn't tire like we would have generally expected to see it seemed that they stayed strong throughout the game for montreal
0: that's an old adage that if the offense isn't working, the defense is going to get tired. I, I I get fed up with that because the defense isn't playing offense, so they're not running ragged anyway. They have a job to do. If they're two and outing the other team, then you just get a saw off. And Montreal, for the most part, especially in that second half, managed to control what Winnipeg was doing. We had everything in this game. A, a strip on a kick return. We had a goal line stand. We had... an interception in the end zone, it just kept compounding itself with more and more intrigue as the, the game went on. And then, of course, that 31-yard pass to Cole Speaker over the left side of the Montreal line really sort of cemented the legacy of this football game. And then, of course, we get into cover zero and how Philpott scores the game winner with 13 seconds to go, Winnipeg chose at that moment to go into cover zero. And if you don't know what cover zero means, essentially what you're trying to do is you bring your defensive line and as many linebackers as possible to bring pressure to bear on the quarterback. That means that everybody else is in single coverage. That's a receiver against a defender all the way across the field. You have no help. And what Tyson Philpot said and what Cody Fajardo recognized was that when he saw Brandon Alexander take outside leverage, which basically means he's standing closer to the sideline than Philpot did, Philpot knew that he could beat him to the inside and Cody Fajardo saw the same thing and that's exactly how they scored that game-winning touchdown.
2: Underappreciated in this game is the play of the Montreal offensive line. We saw them give up seven sacks in the East Final against the Toronto Argonauts, and they did an amazing job of protecting Cody Fajardo in this one. They didn't establish a huge run game, but that pass protection against the Winnipeg defensive line that put pressure on all season was a real difference maker.
1: And on that play you're talking about, Don, they gave Cody Fajardo the time to be able to recognize and stand in the pocket and make that play. He hasn't always had that time throughout the year. So I definitely agree with you, Heath. The offensive line deserves a ton of credit for Fajardo's success as well.
0: If you're a defensive coordinator, as Richie Hall is in that situation, do you risk running cover zero? Because the thought pattern, this is what Bo Levi Mitchell was talking about after the game was that you don't really need to get the sack at that moment. You just need to keep them out of the end zone. That's the thing that's going to kill you, is if they get into the end zone. But uh, if they gain five or 10 yards, there's just not enough time left for the Alouettes to do anything but kick a field goal. Even if they got the sack, they still would have been in field goal range. So why bother with cover zero? Why take that chance?
1: I know that a lot of the media was on Richie Hall for making that call, but I think as a defensive coordinator, you want to make a call that's going to catch an offense off guard. If you're playing situational football at that point, you're probably not generally going to run with a cover zero. If you can surprise them, catch them in an offensive scheme where you can break through the line and apply that pressure, potentially even force the interception, that could have been a game-winning play. It didn't work out that way, so of course, the coach is going to take a lot of flack. But at the same point, you don't want to become predictable and just sit back either. I'm sure he would love to have that call back because of the way it turned out, but had it turned the other way, we'd be calling Richie Hall a defensive genius.
0: But if they had rushed three or four and covered with eight or nine, what were the odds that the Alouettes were going to score a touchdown?
1: That's hard to say, right? Like, I mean, the Alouettes consistently moved the football against the Winnipeg defense, depending on whatever coverage they were in. So, I mean, they may not have scored the touchdown on that play, but they were moving the ball and moving it successfully.
0: In in my heart of hearts, if I was on defense and I heard that call, I'd be scratching my head. Like, why are we doing this at this moment? We're not gaining anything by doing this right now. The sack doesn't put them out of field goal range. They're far too close for that. And all we're risking is now I've got single coverage behind me. And if one of my defenders gets beat, they win. I I don't like the call. I don't think it was needed at the moment. And a lot of people are going to be upset with Richie Hall because that call was made at that crucial time
2: there's always going to be second guessing on the losing side of the game. I guess if I'm Richie hall, my reasoning behind it is I believe in my guys. And sometimes that's all you need to say is I, I had the players out there that were the best to play the play that I called. The end result was not too far away from being a pass knockdown either. It was, it was a a solid touchdown, a great play and a great play call if Brandon Alexander gets a half step the other direction, knocks the ball down or jumps in front and gets that goal line interception, we're we're celebrating a Winnipeg win as opposed to a, a Montreal Alouettes win. So it's a real, it's a game of inches and it's a guessing game. Not the most conservative call, but a call that he had full belief in as a coordinator.
0: If we move away from that call and we look at other elements of this football game, One of the things that I guess Winnipeg has now had is struggles in the fourth quarters of Grey Cups. You even go back to the 2021 Grey Cup against Hamilton, where in the fourth quarter, the Tiger Cats went down the field, and had they not given up the single to start that drive, were playing for the win. This could have been three straight losses for the Blue Bombers. Now, I know we don't want to play the ifs and buts game, but there's something to that that the Winnipeg team, for whatever reason, in the last three Grey Cups, have struggled when it counted in these big games.
2: That's something that they'll have to reflect on as a team. I think any any football fan can remember the heartbreaking losses and the the times that their team has given up late plays. And I, I certainly saw that through the lengthy Grey Cup drought for the Blue Bombers as well. There's often times where they would score to take the lead with about two minutes left in the game. And the fans in the stadium in Winnipeg were just kind of shrugging and not going crazy because they just felt the other team was going to march back down the field and get the scoring, the game-winning points. This one, I think, will be one that they will reflect on that really got away, and not just that last drive, but both of those touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. There was opportunities for Winnipeg to put this game away. Again, unable to convert on second down, on offense when they had the ball to give themselves the opportunity to run out the clock. Little mistakes. We've talked about this before, that it's a difference of between three and five plays in a football game that can turn it one way or the other. And that was certainly the case in this one. A close score. And if you take away Zach Claris's interception in the end zone, he had a couple of players He could have dumped down to Brady Oliveira. He could have probably got Nick Dembski crossing towards the goal line instead of the deep ball to Kenny Lawler. If that touchdown was converted, it might be game over at that point as well.
0: KB and Anto, who at that moment had recognized the play and basically make the great interception. But you're right. Even on the play, as you're watching, you can see Nick Dembski running parallel to the goal line wide open. There's no one with him. And for whatever reason, Calaris doesn't see him or chooses not to throw the ball there. Why? I don't know. I know there was a linebacker coming, but I think Dembski would have easily scored. It was a bit of a risky call, but he took his chance and he paid the price.
1: And that has been a trend with Zach Calaris in the three last three great cups. He's actually two to one interceptions to touchdowns over that time. He seems to want to make the big play, but has just come up a little bit short. If that ball's Four inches higher, it's a touchdown. If he gets it away a little quicker, there was more separation. If he checks down, they have an opportunity to continue. It it just seems like he's had a string of bad luck in those games and hasn't played to the potential because I do think he is one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the league, and he just hasn't been able to show that consistently in the big games.
2: This was a case of needing to slightly overthrow that ball as opposed to slightly underthrow the ball. He had Kenny Lawler deep, with M zone behind him. And we know that Kenny Lawler is capable of making spectacular plays. He needed to get that one a little bit deeper as
1: opposed to the underthrow where the receiver has to come back on the ball. And it truly is a game of inches on the interception where Cody Fajardo threw the ball. If that ball's a foot to the right, I think that Hallett wouldn't have likely intercepted the ball and it could have been a, a long touchdown as it turned out. It was great Because Joseph Zima struggled with punting through much of the night. And that long interception served as a 50-yard punt effectively on that play. Didn't really hurt Montreal at that time. But again, game of inches. If that goes the other way, it's a long pass completion once again for Cody Fajardo.
0: At the end of the game, it was asked of the head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Mike O'Shea, Maybe Adam Big Hill, Dalton Schoen, Rashid Bailey. Would you have thought about maybe not starting any one of them because they were injured? And he mentioned that how the team responded so well to the fact that these guys have put in so much hard work to try to make it to this football game. What do you think of all of that?
2: They all bring so much to the team. Dalton Schoen was targeted three times, made all three catches. You didn't see the, the deep threat that he has shown when healthy, but he was an important part of that offense. He secured the ball, converted every ball thrown his way into first downs, and that's all you can ask of him. Rashid Bailey doesn't get as many targets. He's a talented receiver, but he's also key on blocking in that running game. And he's probably the Bombers receiver that's most likely to get his nose dirty on a draw play. He'll go head to head with a linebacker or a safety and ensure that Brady Olivera gets those extra yards. That's what he brings to the table. The toughest one to watch for me was Adam Big Hill, a hall of fame linebacker with an exceptional career. One of the best that we've seen certainly in the 21st century. And to see him struggle to move out there, he brings a lot of, encouragement and a lot of inspiration for the other players. They were rotating Shane Goche in fairly regularly as well, but it was pretty tough to see how limited his mobility was.
0: Cole Speaker, of course, beat him easily on a touchdown pass earlier in the game. It was hard to watch and I'm just wondering, and I think this was part of the questioning at the time, was that if they were hobbled, wouldn't the Bombers be better served to have somebody that was at 100%. I
1: I think they likely would have been better served in this situation, but I do understand that Michael Shea is, if nothing, loyal to his players, and he's built a culture where the players pull for one another, support one another, and he also trusts his players. So if the player says, I want to go, in this case, I think he, he, he let them make that decision where he could have said, I don't know if you should go. At the end of the day, he is loyal to his players. He's supportive of his players, and and the one that I think cost them some yardage, and certainly not the game, was the limited mobility of of Adam Big Hill because it, it did impact the play on the field. Now, if you follow along to some CFL personalities on
2: Twitter X, Marshall Ferguson did a breakdown of that Cole Speaker touchdown. Adam Big Hill responded to him. As well, it's been an, an interesting read that Adam Big Hill, as the linebacker, was not responsible for Cole Speaker over the top. There's a blown coverage. You will never get Adam Big Hill to publicly mention what the blown coverage was on that play. He was not assigned to cover Speaker, and he recognized the mistake and did everything he could to get back there to break that play up. Unfortunately, because of his mobility, he was unable to do so. But that's the the smarts of him to recognize the broken coverage and the the character and integrity of him to not
1: say who was responsible for the blown coverage. I thought another key play and, and turning point in the game certainly could have been potentially was the play of the Winnipeg defense. We do have to give them credit. They didn't always bend. When they stopped the Montreal offense, right before halftime from getting that one yard at the goal line. For me, that was a potential turning point for the game. And I honestly thought that Montreal may come out not as motivated in the second half. And when they took the ball, had they not been able to march down the field and score, I think this could have been a very different game.
0: There's a lot of points in this game that could turn on this and that. And that's what makes this game so great. Caleb Evans gets out there and gets stuffed twice. You know my feeling about quarterback sneaks in those situations. You've got the entire defense collapsing. The whole predication of success is based upon the quarterback finding a gap and making it through. If there's no gap there, he's running into the backside of his offensive lineman who's colliding with a defensive lineman. They're occupying that one yard that he has to get past with their mass. Where is he going to go? This is why I hate quarterback sneaks, especially at the goal line. When the defense knows as soon as those running backs move out of the backfield, that that's exactly what you're going to do. And even Bo Levi Mitchell said, you've got 250 pound running backs back there. Let them bang somebody and see what happens. This is the way it used to be in the CFL. Putting in your backup quarterback to be a running back, to me, is almost folly. And we saw it happen with Caleb Evans. He's not designed to be a running quarterback. That's not his forte. And yet he's asked to do this.
2: On A a quarterback sneak on the goal line stand is almost a coin flip. You've got essentially that quarterback picking either left or right gap between the center and the guard. If the defense guesses right and their middle linebacker blocks that hole, it's a stop. And that's what we saw in this goal line stand. Winnipeg's defense penetrated in. And it was not really that close for Caleb Evans getting into the end zone. It was an emphatic stop by the Winnipeg defense. A running back gives you so much more flexibility. He's going to see that line. He can recognize whether to try to plunge into the pile or whether to sweep left or right. If he's got a, a, a good tackle out there and maybe a fullback pushing for him on one side or the other, he can go over the top. They generally have that athletic ability to, to launch themselves over the pile as well. So one thing I recognized seeing Brady Oliveira in this game was his patience that he's developed in waiting for those holes to happen as well. He, there is There are several plays where he basically came up to the line and had his hand on an offensive lineman just waiting for things to open instead of trying to hammer his way through, found the gaps. And, and that's the type of play that you expect to see from your running back that can get you those touchdowns
0: more regularly than a
2: sneaking quarterback. Second down.
0: Let's get into the stats and get into some meat and potatoes about what really happened on the field. It's, it's really fascinating because one great thing that uh, Steve Daniel and the uh, stats crew provided was a halftime look at what was going on. This is the first time this year that we've seen that. And so it's a great comparator as to how the two teams were coming out and how the two teams finished. And one of the things that is quite evident is that Cody Fajardo, especially, in the second half, his numbers go sky high. He He puts up 123 yards in the first half and finishes the game with 290. Now, overall, 21 of 26. Zach Kolaris, 19 of 23. A tremendously accurate day. But again, that huge interception to KB and Ento in the end zone.
2: If you look at total time of possession in this game, Winnipeg, 37 minutes, 44 seconds. Montreal, 22 minutes, 16 seconds. Just looking at those numbers, you would assume that Winnipeg won this game pretty handily. It's it's one of their specialties is ball control, especially with the running game with Brady Oliveira. They can grind drives out and run a lot of time off the clock. That explosiveness of the Montreal offense I mentioned earlier was, was a big surprise and was really the difference maker in this game. There was a three-play touchdown drive, another touchdown drive that was under two minutes off the clock. Really, really efficient ball movement by that Montreal offense and, and really, I think, surprised a lot of people. And a lot of those people were defensive backs on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers.
0: The Blue Bombers give up four sacks, 24 yards on them. The Alouettes only two for 17. Turnovers, ironically, where Montreal had dominated the entire season pretty much was a saw-off in this football game.
1: Another stat that, that surprised me at the end of the game when you took a look at it, well, Cody Fajardo hit 290 yards passing. When you break it down to see the total net offense, Winnipeg had 368 total yards, where Montreal had 373. And it tells you that that game turned on the last few seconds of, of the, the game because it was an incredibly close stat. But a surprising stat that I found, we knew that Winnipeg was running the ball extremely well with Brady Oliveira. And to see Montreal actually gained 100 yards on the ground, I found kind of surprising at the end of the game. It seemed to me that Cody Fajardo was doing most of the the offensive work through the air. And yet, in the end, they rushed for an average of 6.3 on their 16 rushing attempts.
2: You look at it, and Cody Fajardo himself had a couple of key runs William Standback did break through for a 32-yard run as well. So uh, overall, nine carries for 68 yards for Standback, two carries for 18 yards for Cody Fajardo with his long being that key 13-yard run on that last drive. Caleb Evans in short yardage, five carries for 14 yards. When you balance all of them out, you can see how it it, it adds up whereas if you look at Winnipeg, the majority of those yards come from Brady Olivera, 19 carries for 119 yards. Dakota Prukop had a busy day of nine carries for 33 yards. On those short yardage plays, he's a, a quarterback that will fight for every inch, and he's not just looking for the one yard. If he gets a little bit of an opening there, he's going for three or four.
0: Montreal did have more net offense on the night than did the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and they won by a marginal amount as well. They did the one thing that I thought they had to do and they did it very well. And that was they didn't back down from Winnipeg. And if you've heard me over the podcast over the last couple of years, I've said the way to beat Winnipeg is to go over the top. You just got to get the time to throw the ball and you can beat them deep. Montreal proved that on Sunday night. 373 total yards is not something that Winnipeg gives up on most days, but Montreal, because they didn't back down. And you think of that defense in the fourth quarter, how they were beating up Brady Oliveira. Every time he came through the line, he took a hellacious hit. The Alouettes were in the ascendancy in that sense, that their energy was still there. And you could see the Blue Bombers starting to wane. That may be a long season. They're an older club. They are by far, compared to the Alouettes, an older club. And maybe it was catching up to him. The other thing too, that I said going into this final, Winnipeg on the road is a Midland club. They're not that great. And the Alouettes would have home field advantage because more Alouette fans would have made it from Montreal on the train. They use that as well. Winnipeg couldn't have that crowd, which is so massive at IG Field and helping the Blue Bombers win football games. Don't ever underestimate what they do because defenses can't make calls and offenses can't make calls because of the noise.
2: Jamal Parker and Demario Houston are very athletic defensive backs, but they are beatable. Demario Houston's strength this year was interceptions. He led the league. He got another one in the West final, eight interceptions total this year. But on a a one-on-one coverage, he's a high risk, high reward type of back. The play that surprised me the most was a deep ball to Austin Mack, where he was one-on-one against Diedrich Nichols. You don't often see Nichols beat. He was right in on the play as well. So there was no yards after the catch, but a, a great athleticism from Austin Mack to haul one in in tight coverage from Nichols, a one-handed grab where he was, it may have led to a pass interference challenge if it was an incomplete pass, because I think Nichols had his other hand wrapped up pretty good uh, and prevented him from getting both hands on the ball. But those defensive backs, there there was some risk there. And Brandon Alexander can't cover the entire width of the field as your safety. He does a great job, but those other guys need to step up and make plays.
0: It was Parker that was beaten on the Cole speaker catch at the end of the game that set up the game-winning touchdown. And that Austin Mack catch may be one of the greatest catches of all time. To have a defender pulling on your arm and you reach back with your other arm and haul the ball in. Because Jason Moss had already challenged on a no yards call that was not given. And looking at the replay, oh, that could have gone either way in a heartbeat. It's just... It looked like there was a bomber. Well, there definitely was a bomber with his foot inside of five yards, but if it's not a straight line, he was off at an angle, so that may have pushed him beyond it. It was so, so close. But that was the fumble by James Letcher that led to a Blue Bombers touchdown. Moss had lost his challenge there, so if there was no flag on that play, Austin Mack would have been helpless had he not hung onto the ball.
1: We can point to so many different plays in this game that were outstanding that the game could have turned on but one for me that stood out was when Montreal had their defensive lineman Lawal Ugoak step into the gap and just put the perfect form tackle on Brady Oliveira and knocked him back you could see the Montreal sideline just rise up and for me that was an outstanding play made by a rookie defensive lineman who many people criticized Montreal for picking with the seventh overall pick. And he stepped up in the big moment and I thought he performed.
0: It reminded me of what Chad Kelly did in the Grey Cup the previous year when he went around the edge and ran down the field and got the first down on a second and 18 and took on the defender. And I believe that was Adam Bighill. The Argonauts just rose up with that energy. Those types of plays get you emotionally more invested. And you could just see at the end of the game, the Alouettes really believed that they could win this football game. In spite of the fact that Fajardo gets one of his two sacks on that drive, he, they still find a way. And this was the thing that I think hallmarked the entire Alouette playoff run. When they were being pushed, they always push back. And against the Argonauts, they started strong and when Toronto started to fight back, Montreal kept piling it on. You think about this, the Alouettes beat two teams, first in the West, first in the East, two best records, 30 and six combined records to win the Grey Cup.
2: The Alouettes are really a fantastic story for the CFL this year. They were in so much turmoil in the offseason with a change of ownership, unsure of who was going to be the owner. The, the league controlled them for a brief period in there, I, I will admit I on our preseason prediction show I had Montreal finishing six and twelve and missing the playoffs. I, I am one of the doubters that they are upset with and and they proved me wrong. I will admit that wholeheartedly, and to see them from their early season mediocrity to rattling off eight straight wins to bring this one home. That is a a fantastic story, great coaching, great buy-in from the players and uh, my hat's off to the Alouettes. They really showed a lot of determination to get this done.
0: How about the swagger of Darnell Sankey? Not only does he have a huge play in the Grey Cup, but the day he walks into the Alouettes training facility and he goes to the team and he says, gentlemen, we're not losing any more games. I'm here. And did he deliver? They didn't lose a single game with him in the lineup. Compare and contrast. Montreal Alouettes were 6-7. and seven, Saskatchewan Roughriders were 6-7. and seven. Look at what Montreal did and look at what Saskatchewan did.
2: Third down. Reading some post-game comments by fans after this game, a word that was tossed around a bit was the Bombers choked. And I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit here and say, if you look at the CFL over the last three seasons, during the regular season, the blue bombers are 40 and 10 in the playoffs. They're seven and two. The two losses have been great cup games decided by less than a touchdown. They have been in every single game in the playoffs over that period of time. And any coach, any general manager and any fan should look at this record that they've had over the past three seasons, appreciate the greatness that they have established. Yes, they failed to get across the finish line in these last two games, but you cannot take away the success that this organization has built. They have come back from the ashes of the Joe Mack era where he decimated Canadian talent. They were a lost franchise. And through the working relationship of Mike O'Shea, Kyle Walters, and Wade Miller have built the front runners of the CFL right now, and that should be celebrated.
0: What the Blue Bombers have done in the salary cap era is tremendous. We may not see the likes of this for a while. I don't believe we can rule out the Blue Bombers being back in the Grey Cup in the next two years. They still will probably have a strong enough nucleus. The question is out of the West, is someone going to come up and finally knock them off? If that happens, then we will be witnessing the end of an era.
2: A word that was tossed around last week in our Grey Cup preview was dynasty. And what it takes to be to be considered a dynasty, my take on it was that the Bombers needed to win this one, and they did not come through. So making the Grey Cup four straight times is an amazing accomplishment. It's something that has only been done three previous times in the entire Grey Cup era and only twice before in the CFL era. This was a team that has a lot of pride
1: and a lot of success, but I do not believe that you can call them a dynasty. In the box office, they are certainly leading the CFL as well as an exemplary organization. I guess my question is right now there's a lot of things in the Blue Bomber organization that are still uncertain? How many players will retire? Their their GM, Kyle Walters, remains unsigned. There's a lot of players who are going to be waiting. Some of the other coaches are also being considered for coaching positions elsewhere. Is this a turning point for the Blue Bomber organization?
2: With success comes a lot of other teams looking for your talent. The incredible... Thing Winnipeg did was keep so much of the core together over this run of four great cup appearances it's not something that you see often and and players have spoke to it Stanley Bryant had offers for more money elsewhere before he signed his new deal and he said that he felt the ability to win with this team was going to offset the difference of the money he was going to make going somewhere else he did get one more great cup after he signed that contract Rashid Bailey was a player that had likely priced himself out prior to this 2023 season. Many people in Winnipeg speculated that he was going to go elsewhere. He took less money to stick around in Winnipeg in Winnipeg because of the culture and because of the belief in this team. Now that they've lost two in a row, I see some changes coming. As you mentioned, I believe there's going to be some retirements. There's going to be some player movement. They just cannot afford to keep everybody Uh, um, we'll get into free agency as we get further into the off season as well. But there's a couple of big names of young talent as well. Dalton Schoen comes to mind. That is somebody that's going to be key for them to lock up and is likely to see more money thrown his way. So that's going to start pricing out some of those older veterans.
0: The Blue Bombers have lost two straight Grey Cups. And sometimes when there's a belief system that you needed to be the winners of those two games, not the losers of those two games, that the panic button starts to get pressed and you start making changes because you want to somehow get past that final 15 minutes where maybe just leaving well enough alone could have been a better sort of outcome in terms of your decision-making. I think back to the Chicago Bulls where they busted up that franchise because Better a year too early than a year too late. Well, it turned out to be a huge mistake for the Bulls franchise when Jordan Pippen and that crew went their separate ways. It's a, it's a telling tale for the Blue Bombers. If they start thinking that they're close, but they still have to make a bunch more changes or rejig this franchise to get over the top, they could be going backwards before going forwards. This is
2: a, a key off season because they are also going to be hosting the Grey Cup in 2025. I don't know if some of these veterans can hold off that long and and continue to be as productive as they are. If the organization, and I'm sure they do, have visions of winning a, a Great Cup at home, I believe the season in 2024 will be a bit of a step back as they rework and retool things for that 2025 push. Now, that may or may not work out in their favor, but I believe we are going to see some key names on that Winnipeg roster that we're used to seeing in Winnipeg may be changing a little bit. And I don't believe it's, it's a panic button situation. They got so many of the core guys back this year because they were so close to winning three in a row last year. Now that it's two consecutive losses, I don't know if you quite have that same sense of unfinished business. It's now they've been proven to be beatable twice in a row.
0: Adam Big Hill, Nick Damsky. And look at the lines. Jackson Jeffcoat, Jamarcus Hardrick, Patrick Newfeld, Stanley Bryant. They are in their mid-30s. And are the Bombers now fighting a secondary battle? And that is time itself. Well, we were calling
2: them old two years ago, and all they did was make it to back-to-back gray cups after that. But one player that comes to mind in this whole aging out situation would be Andrew Harris. It was a big decision for Winnipeg not to resign him Prior to the 2022 season, it took Brady Oliveira a couple of games to find his footing. But looking back on it now, it was a no-brainer that you would rather have Brady Oliveira these past two seasons than Andrew Harris. Injuries and age caught up to Harris a little bit. He did win the Grey Cup last year, but really it was a passing of the torch to A.J. Ouellette in that running game for the Argonauts. It wasn't necessarily Andrew Harris leading the charge like we saw previously and and certainly in those two great cup wins for Winnipeg the g- general manager whoever it is whether it's Kyle Walters or somebody new stepping into that role is going to have to evaluate so many of these factors in determining free agent offers and who to bring back
0: For listening to our show third down gamble is hosted on podbeat and can be found on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify follow us on twitter at third down gamble join us again the third down gamble podcast audio worth watching
1: third down gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.